Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. If you are new with us, we would love to learn a little bit more about you. There's a, a digital connect card that you will find a link for in the comments section there on Facebook. And so uh, if you have time, we'd just love for you to fill that out so we get a chance to, to get to know who is tuning in a little bit better. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Matthew. Uh, find chapter 6, where we're picking up in verse 5 this morning. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, but the next several weeks will be kind of like a series within a series because we're going to be going through a very familiar section within this sermon uh, known as the Lord's Prayer. And so regardless where you are with faith, you are very likely familiar with this section of this sermon, and we're going to really see the way that Jesus modeled prayer for us. Now, the challenge for those of you who are very familiar with this passage is a lot of times when we are familiar with something, we think we already know it and we think that we already follow it and do it. And while that may be the case for some of us, there's also uh, this, this temptation for us just to read through this quickly because we are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And what it really does is it kind of causes us to be apathetic towards prayer. Now, let me start with a confession this morning. I am not satisfied with my prayer life. In fact, this I feel like has always been a struggle in my spiritual life. I don't feel like I've ever been prayerful enough as one who calls himself Christian. I don't feel like one who has the title of pastor. I don't, I don't feel like I pray enough. But my guess is this morning that I'm not alone. My guess is this morning that many of you also have this struggle. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that there is no one who feels like they are an expert at prayer who is tuning in this morning, which is why this quote from Puritan John Owen really kind of hits me right in the face. He says, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouse of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. And let me tell you, as a minister, that really hits me between the eyes and causes me to kind of wake up and say, man, there's a lot of other things you do in your week as a minister. But what does it look like when you get before God Almighty? 2014 Pew Research Center did a study of Americans. And they said, how often do you pray? According to this study, 55% of Americans say they pray at least once a day. So more than half of Americans say that they pray. So at least according to this study, as a whole, we are a praying people. So perhaps the problem is less about are we praying and more about what it is that we are praying when we pray and, and how it is that we pray. Scott McKnight here reminds us that prayer is as human as eating. And every ancient culture has its prayers. And so the fact remains that prayer is in many ways part of human existence. Prayer has always been around. God conversed with Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. But prayer begins in the Bible with God speaking to humans in order to commune with them. And our response, our prayer, prayer is our human response to God's word. Now, as Christians, as those who call ourselves Christ followers, we should live lives marked by prayer. But in my experience in talking with other Christians, this isn't often the case. Now, Jesus' early disciples, those, those first ones he called himself, we actually see them ask him to teach them how to pray. I find that really interesting. 
Because think about all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them how to do. There's a plethora of, oppor- uh, of possibilities. I listed a few of those. They could have asked Jesus, how do you turn water into wine? I mean, can you imagine being the guy who goes to the party and, and, there, and there's water and you say, hey guys, watch this. Boom, it's turned into wine. I mean, that would be, be, be pretty cool, right? You'd probably have a, a following if you could do that. Or they could have asked him like, how, does, how is it you're going to rise from the dead? Or maybe this conversation is happening after Jesus come back to life. Like, how is it you're going to do that? Because, you know, if, if grandma dies, I'd love to be able to bring her back to dead or if, from the dead. Or if I die, I'd love to be able to come back to life. They could have even asked him, like, how is it that we are to teach and preach? But that's not what we see them ask him. Instead, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Why would you ask someone to teach you how to pray? You only ask someone to teach you how to do something when you have no ability to do it yourself and you just aren't sure how to do it. And so we see that Jesus modeled this for them. Jesus was up before dawn regularly to pray. Jesus often prayed all through the night. And Jesus models how it is that they were to pray and how it is that we are to pray. It tells us in Acts 1.14 that the early church was devoted to prayer. Would people say that in the church today? Would people say that the church is devoted to prayer? We see the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries in the New Testament, who started lots of churches, was devoted to prayer. It says he prayed night and day. And Paul actually wrote to one church, and he would instruct us as well to pray without ceasing. Now, it is not super Christian or you're not a varsity Christian if you pray, because it is a Christian thing to pray. In other words, to be a Christian in part means you are one who prays, because to be a Christian means you converse with God. Now, this sermon isn't made to make you feel bad. I hope I haven't done that on the front end. But what God is offering us in prayer is a gift. And I want us to see that gift this morning, maybe in a fresh light. In prayer, we have a chance to commune with the God of the universe. Prayer gives us an opportunity to break away from the busyness of life. I think about just yesterday, I went on a a prayer walk. And I forced myself to go on a walk because if I stay at home, I get really distracted by my phone or TV or by my children or something else. And so I, I decided to go on a walk and I just walked. For almost an hour. Now, I don't do that daily. I don't say that, say, look at me, but it just, I realized, man, this is a chance to break away from the busyness of life and just commune with God. It's a chance when we pray to rest in the God who works on our behalf in spite of our inactivity during prayer. It's so counterintuitive, which the whole Sermon on the Mount is, to, to take time to pray because we're not accomplishing anything in and of ourselves. We're not accomplishing anything that our fellow humankind would say, man, you're making progress. But spiritually, it is one of the most vital things to our life. Tim Keller says, prayer is both a conversation and an encounter with God. Prayer is the only entryway to a general self-knowledge. In other words, prayer helps us get to know ourselves better as we pour ourselves out before God. And the main way in which we experience change through God is prayer. And so... In a very real way, prayer is the key to everything we need to know and do in life. Our posture in prayer is that you are God and I am not. And so don't think of prayer so much as a chore that we have to do. Think about prayer as a gift that we get to enjoy. I mean, what a a gift that the God of the universe who created everything, all mankind, actually wants to communicate with us. And we have that. Lifeline 24-7. Imagine with me for a minute 
that you had access to a friend or a person in a very high place, that 24 seven, 365 days a year that you could reach out to them and that, that they could actually do something about whatever is going on in your life. Let's just say the president. Now I know that might be controversial because you may not like the new president or you may love the new president, but let's just say the former president or the new one or any other president in, in history, okay? Let's just make that for, for sake of argument. You would boast about that. Like you would utilize that. You would go around letting people know like, man, anytime I need this, I've got this lifeline. You see right here, it's on speed dial. I'll just hit one and it goes to that individual and they can actually change things. Maybe they can get you some extra stimulus checks or maybe they can help in different areas at a moment's notice. But as a Christ follower, we have that and much, much more in our relationship with God, the God who literally created everything and everyone. And there isn't a more influential being in the entire universe. We have unlimited minutes. We have unlimited text. We have unlimited data to that God 24-7, 365 days a year. But my question, church, is do we utilize that relationship? Do we utilize that channel, that communication with this God? Do we actually take advantage of the access that we have been given? I wonder sometimes at my own house if we don't talk to Alexa more often than we talk to God. Because the, the, the robotic device is always available and always responding back to us. So go ahead and turn with me now. Matthew 6, verse 5. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus will start by showing us what we aren't to do when praying, which is the main point of our sermon today. Today's the introduction to the next two or three weeks, and today we'll start by looking at how not to pray. And so go ahead and turn now, Matthew 6, we'll look at verses 5 through 8. It says, and when you pray, now go ahead and circle the word when in your Bible. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so once again, today's sermon will focus on how not to pray. And by the way, the best way to not pray is don't pray. Because notice when it says in verse 1, when you pray, it doesn't say if you pray. It doesn't say when it's convenient to pray, but when you pray. And so the assumption is that we, as God's children, are a praying people. Now, there's two kinds of prayers that are noteworthy here. This time, Jews prayed, and in many cases, they would memorize psalms as part of their prayers. And then the second type of prayer is Jews, would, they developed this customary prayer, and they prayed these different prayers three times a day. They would pray before they went to bed. They would pray first thing when they woke up in the morning, and then they would pray at midday. And so at that set hour, the, the pious Jews would stop what they were doing, and they would pray. Now, some would do this discreetly, and then others would do this in a pretentious way as to say, look at me, I'm doing the customary prayers. Now, Jesus does not condemn all public prayer as we see modeled in his own life, but it's really the, the motive of one's heart. And so the idea here is don't pretend to be better at prayer than what you actually are. And don't do it in such a way to be seen by others to say, look how spiritual I am that I'm praying. You know, think about noon if you're out and about. Like everyone, hey, look, I'm, I'm praying. And just if you close your eyes and stopped and raise your hand and started yelling, it would be in a way to say, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm a spiritual one. And what Jesus refers to those types of people, he calls them hypocrites. Now, hypocrite 
at this time really it meant actors. You think about a hypocrite, what's that you're doing? You're faking it. You're, you're acting in prayer. So I think sometimes I've been at public prayer meetings and you, you'll hear individuals, you kind of do a popcorn prayer. And maybe you'll hear someone pray and you think, man, that person knows how to pray. But then there's other times I think, man, that person knows how to act. As they, you know, they just kind of embellish. And it's like, I've never heard them pray that way before in small group. I've never heard them pray that way before. And we're just getting together. Man, they get in front of all these people. And all of a sudden it's this eloquent prayer. And you think, man, they're a really good actor. One of my favorite examples is Instagram. We all know that person who does this, where you'll see their Bible perfectly displayed, open with maybe a highlighter in the middle. They'll have their cup of coffee out there. And the caption will say something like, just me and Jesus time. Now, my first thought is, if it's just you and Jesus time, then why are you sharing it with the world? Why do you feel the need to share it with all of us? Maybe, you know, maybe my, my fleshly thought is, maybe that's the only time you actually do spend time with Jesus. But I'm just like, stop, don't do that. This is what the hypocrites do. They do it and say, hey, look at me, I'm doing this, this thing. And so verse five says, do not pray like the religious hypocrites. Because they pray in order to be seen by others. And in essence, they're only doing it to be seen by others. So for us, that means like, don't go down to Pioneer Square and stand up on that top piece. You see sometimes street preachers up there. Like, don't go up there and say, hey, everyone, I'm praying to the God of the universe. Because you're just doing it in a way to be seen. Or think about this. Do you only pray when other people are around? Do you only pray when you're asked to at a church gathering or a gospel community? And so... He's, he's asking, essentially here, where is your prayer life? Now, he isn't saying don't pray. He's, he's not saying don't pray at gospel community. He's not saying don't pray on Sunday. But what it's instructing us here is don't let the majority of your prayer life be in public. Let the majority of your prayer life actually be in private. When nobody sees you going to, to battle, so to speak, spiritually for your children or for your marriage or for your friends or your family and your coworkers, let all that be done in private. I think about early morning. You don't have to pray in the early morning. We do see Jesus model that. And I think sometimes in my house, that's the perfect time. If I wake up early and there's still kind of dark in the house, maybe I just turn on one lamp or maybe I don't turn anything on at all. And there's not the distractions of the day or breakfast or the kids or toys, any of that. And just you can commune with your father. But you don't have to go around and, and share that on social media. You don't have to say, look, everyone, it's dark in my house. And now I'm getting on my knees and pray. For, like, no, just do it. Commune with your father. Think about athletes. We can see athletes on game day. Okay, and depending on what sport that is, that might be for, for an hour or if it's NFL, it might be for three hours. But that's relatively a short amount of time compared to the work that they put in, the, the early morning workouts, the afternoon workouts, the late evening workouts. All we see is game day. I think about Michael Phelps. The, I think he has the most Olympic medals of, of anyone, any individual. He spent five to six hours a day swimming in preparation for the Olympics. That's for, for four years. Now that's only one part of his workout. He did all kinds of other things, but five to six hours a day in the pool for four years, that's 1,825 hours for a few minutes in the pool of an actual competition. So we get to watch him win a competition in like 50 seconds that he prepared 1,825 hours in order to win. He put in that hard work in private that we didn't see. Think about Tom Brady. He's, he's about to enter his 10th Super Bowl, but he hasn't gotten there 10 times by being lazy, but by working hard and doing things that we don't get to see, and he's got to work in the discipline in order to be the best athlete that he can be at 43 years old going to his 10th Super Bowl. And so Christians, brother and sister, sojourner, prayer is not a waste of time. 
It is not meaningless unless we do it in order to just be seen by others, but it's a way that we grow in our walk with our Lord and Savior. As sojourn, as we're kind of in this phase of 2021 of rebuilding, and I'm going, man, we've got to pray more and more that God would lead us and guide us, and not just to say that for the sake of saying it, but actually be in step with the Holy Spirit and ask that the Spirit would go before us and, and that the Spirit of God would be the one who does the rebuilding in our lives and our church. So let me ask you this. What are some things that do keep us from praying? What are some things in, in, in our modern life that just keep us from doing this? There's a few things I list here. One is busyness and just kind of the daily grind of life. I think even in this kind of pandemic stage where we're at home a lot, and you might say, well, I didn't feel as busy, but now I feel as busy. But we also just have too much op- too many options, too much info. We have podcasts, we have music, we have Netflix, and, and we can just binge watch TV shows. I mean, I like all those things as well. I enjoy listening to Spotify. I enjoy watching Netflix with Andrea in the evenings. But all those compel in comparison, if we're honest, to Jesus. And so I think oftentimes it's not that we're too busy to pray. I just think we have our priorities out of order. And our priorities just, man, it's just easier to veg out and watch Netflix and maybe an entire season of Parks and Rec versus taking some time to pray. And think about speaking to the God of the universe the way that one of my three boys would come up and speak to their father. It's the most life-giving and rewarding thing that you can give your time to. The second reason I think that we don't pray is spiritual dryness. Everything feels a little fake and pretend when you're spiritually dry. It's like you're just kind of forcing yourself to go through it. You just aren't feeling it. You just don't feel close to God. But in these moments, in these seasons, and we all go through them. If you're not in one now, you will be at some point. It presupposes how you feel about God is how God feels about you. And nothing could be further from the truth. You presuppose that your feelings are overrun. And that you don't feel like you're praying. So what do you do? You don't pray. But discipleship, and part of discipleship is prayer, is that we pray And we choose to believe what we know about God, not what we feel about God. Let me say that again. You choose in discipleship to believe what we know about God and not what we feel about God. The third reason that we don't pray is guilt and shame. Some of you don't pray because you feel guilty or you feel shame because of the reality is that you don't know maybe how to pray or when to pray. Or maybe you're kind of in the process of a cycle of sin and you just are kind of at a distance from God. I think when my kids get caught in trouble doing something, what do I want them to do? Do I want them to return and run away from me? Now, sometimes they'll do that. Sometimes they'll run to the room or they'll run outside and say mean things. They'll come back later and apologize. But I think about that. What I want as a father, even when I catch them in the middle of something, I want them to do nothing more than turn towards me, to, to embrace me. I think about the, the father and the prodigal son. What do we see when the prodigal son returns? We don't see the father shun him and lock his door and say, man, I've changed a lot. We see the father run. It says he sprinted to the son. And so even in that guilt and shame, know that your father, God, is there with open arms and running towards you. And so choose to believe what we know about God and turn towards him. A fourth reason we don't pray is unbelief. Maybe you believe all the claims of scripture, but you don't simply believe in prayer and the power of prayer. And so you say, "Ah, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to pray. Our fifth reason is anger. Maybe there's some kind of bitterness in your heart. Maybe you feel like you've been wrongly served or some kind of injustice towards you and your experience in life maybe it was from a family member or maybe it was from a friend or maybe it was maybe it was from a spiritual leader at some point in your life and so because of that you just say i'm going to blame god because god allowed that to happen to me and so you don't expect god to do right by you but let me encourage you the only way to get to know god better is to trust him and to build trust and prayer i can understand and be sensitive to those things those hurts and and, and those injustice 
So maybe it starts small. I'm not saying it's just been an hour in prayer, your whole day in prayer. Maybe it's literally starting with a, a morning prayer, just saying, God, uh, help me trust you today. Maybe it's as simple as that, and you kind of take those baby steps. And so the answer to all our prayerlessness is prayerfulness. It's simply to pray. And so how then should Christians pray? Verse six says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we see Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door. And so we are to close the door against disturbance and distraction when it is that we are going to pray. And only God, only then can we obey the Lord's next command to us. It says, pray to your father who is in secret, and there is even a reward for those who pray this way. So what is the essence of Christian prayer? The essence of Christian prayer is to seek God. That's why you are doing it. And we seek him in order to acknowledge him for who he is. That we say, God the creator, God the Lord, God the judge, God our heavenly father through Jesus Christ, our savior. So rather than becoming absorbed in the mechanics of prayer and how exactly you do it and what you say, we need to remember the purpose of prayer. And Jesus' emphasis here is on secret. Our prayers that have pure motives when we are praying. We have to pray genuinely. I think about it, it talks about the little children in the Bible, letting the little children come to Jesus. I think about when I listen to my children around the dinner table pray sometimes and how genuine those prayers are and that we can go to God in that same way. You don't have to come up with some big embellished word, theological terms. Just talk to God. I mean, yes, with reverence and respect, but talk to God like you would talk to anybody else. Talk to God, just pour out your heart, the feet of Jesus. It says we, we aren't to pray like they're irreligious heathen, thinking we'll be heard for our words. Look at verse seven and eight. It says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus here, he's, he's prohibiting this mindless mechanical repetition not the earnest and genuine motivation of your heart. And so Jesus here, he paints this vivid contrast of these two alternatives in order to indicate his way plainly. And so regarding the practice of prayer in particular, he contrasts the way of the pagan praying, this mainly re this repetition, just repeating the same thing over and over and over again, with the, the Christian way of a meaningful communion with God. So imagine on the, my next date night, now, Dre and I go out once, hopefully, restaurants will open again soon for dining. So let's just say that we go out and, we're, you know, no kids, and we're just going to take some time to catch up and just kind of hear each other's hearts. Now, imagine I just say the same thing over and over and over again to Andrea. Not that I'm repeating the same story, but I just say the same thing over and over and over again. And I can imagine her looking at me going, don't you have anything else to say? And so imagine what I did in that moment is I, I got louder and just started yelling the same thing over and over and over again. That would be ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. But for some reason, we'll find ourselves doing that with prayer. We'll repeat the same thing over and over again. And then sometimes, especially if you're praying with some of my more Pentecostal brothers and sisters, we love you, but man, we'll get in those circles. And it's like, man, I'm gonna say the same thing over and over again, but I'm gonna say it louder and louder and louder and louder every single time. Because somehow by projecting it louder, God's gonna suddenly hear you. When God can hear the quietness and stillness of your heart. But it's not a magic formula. And so we'll, we'll do that over and over and over again, and then we'll get frustrated when it doesn't work. But prayer is not some magical spell that we say the right words in the right order or some riddle. But we pray in Jesus' name by his power, recognizing that Jesus is the one who holds the power. 
And so let us be people who, who declare the power of God in prayer. Let's do that consistently, graciously, and truthfully. So how are we to apply the Lord's prohibition today? I think in part it's turning from non-Christian prayer practices to Christian prayer practices. That's right, because Christianity is not the only religion that prays. Now, most of the meditation that we hear about, and we, and we have a lot of meditation in our city. So I do actually think that meditation is one of these things that Christianity needs to redeem in our culture, kind of reclaim in our culture. I think instead what Christianity has done in the U.S. is we've kind of shunned away from it because of other groups using meditation. But I actually think we need to redeem it and, and, and kind of start reusing it and reintroducing it. But most of the meditation we hear about today, it's a, it's a form of freeing your mind. Right? And so people will go meditate maybe to start their day or the middle of the day or to end their day. And it's to free themselves and to free their mind. But for the, me- for the believer, for the one in Christ, meditation involves a conscious use of the mind in which instead of emptying your mind, you're actually filling your mind. But your mind's being filled not with your thoughts. Your mind's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so once again, I think we need to get back to this practice of, of meditation as Christians, as, as reflection as Christians. But we're doing it so to fill our minds with the Holy Spirit. And so in some, what Jesus forbids is any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. And then Jesus says, back in verse 8, he says, do not be like them. Why not? Because Christians do not believe in that kind of God. We don't believe in a God who we just free our minds completely. On the contrary, it tells us, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so he is our father, a father who loves his children and knows all about their needs. And so whatever your needs are right now in your your life, God already knows that you have those needs. I think sometimes we're afraid to go to God. Now, don't only go to God with a list of needs, like it's your grocery list or a Santa Claus, but whatever's going on in your heart, God already knows that's going on in your heart. If it's a complaint, if if it's a worry, if it's whatever it is, that God already knows that thing because he knows our thoughts, he knows our minds, he knows our hearts. And so you're really not telling God anything he doesn't already know. I think sometimes about when we sin. I know when I sin, I'm like, man, the last thing I want to do is talk to God right now. You know, I was like, I feel like I've been caught red-handed, so I don't want, you know, I kind of want to do this and not talk to God. But the reality is God already knows. So in a sense, he's just kind of sitting there waiting like, I know you're going to eventually, you're going to break, you're going to, you're going to mold, you're going to come to me because I already know. So if that is so, if God already knows our hearts, God already knows our minds, knows our thoughts, you might be sitting there asking, then what's the point of praying? If God knows these things, what is the point of praying? John Calvin helps us out here. He says, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may be arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. Now Martin Luther put a little bit more succinctly for us. He says, by our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we are him. And so we often don't pray, why? Because it's unnatural, and we think that we don't need it. We'll even prepare sermons sometimes without praying. Now, I constantly make sure I did pray this week because I'm thinking, man, I'm, 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 I'm preparing a sermon on, on, on prayer. But there are weeks where I find myself halfway into my prep. I think, man, I haven't even prayed, which is really where the starting place should be. But I think we all do this in our lives because we get kind of in this mechanical mode. We kind of know like what our week looks like. Like, 
I mean, right now, even with the pandemic, I know what time I wake up and I know kind of my routine when I get my coffee and all those things. And you'll just find yourself going through these things and not even praying. And so we will find you doing your role and your job in life, whatever it is, without prayer. And you might think, well, I'm not a, I'm not a minister. Well, remember, as Christians, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. So regardless what your paycheck comes from. And so are you praying? Are you praying as you enter your workday, even if it's on a computer right now? Are you praying that you'll have opportunities with your coworkers to show them what a Christian is and to share the gospel with them? And so how easy is it for us today to, to pray? Or it feels more natural for us to do other things. Google and answer, ask Alexa. And it just feels unnatural to pray and to ask God. There's this massive disconnect between our prayer lives and sometimes the results that we want to see or that, we, that maybe we don't get to see. But think about prayer, it changes lives. Prayer changes marriages. Prayer changes our churches and prayer changes our cities and our, our state and our nation and our world. If only we would come to the Lord in prayer. If only we would access the commun- the, the, the conversation and, and the communion we can have with the God of the universe. God your Father already knows what you need before you come to him in prayer. He already knows. You're not informing God, but you are conforming our heart to God and trusting him. And so that's really what you're doing when you're praying. You're, you're conforming your heart and aligning your heart with the God who already knows. And so if you're happy, let God know you're happy and just thank him for the happiness in your life. If you're sad, let him know what's going on. Why is it you're sad? If you're sinning, then let him know that you've been sinning and ask for forgiveness. If whatever it is, you can come to God in prayer. And so Sojourn Church, I want us to pray as if our life depends on it. Because the reality is in many ways, our life does depend on it. We are in battle. We're in spiritual warfare, especially in our city. And and it's like, we are not going to fight this battle in and of ourselves. We will all fall, but we need to be in our hands and knees, crying out to the God of the universe to go before us as we fight this battle, as we we can move forward in this new year, as we continue to plant Sojourn Church, and it takes root in Northeast Portland. Think about prayer. When you pray, your life depends on it. It's like taking a pill. Imagine that you have a disease, but it's actually a very curable disease. But in order to cure the disease, you have to take this pill once a day at the same exact time. And if you don't take the pill, you will die within minutes. And so I can imagine that you would reorient your entire life around taking that one pill. You would let your your boss know, and you would let your spouse know, and your family, and everyone would know. It wouldn't matter if you're on vacation, or if you're up in the mountains skiing, or if you're down at the beach. It would not matter. You would reorient your whole life around taking this pill because it would be that vital to your livelihood. But reality is for Christians, that is what prayer is. And so that we should reorient our lives around, because prayer isn't just, once again, it's not just mindless thoughts. It's you're talking to God. You're praying to the one being in the entire universe who can actually do something, who can actually change us and our circumstances. And so prayer is vital. And prayer ushers us into the presence of God who can actually do something about it. And so I think as I found myself last year in 2020, especially, I just, you kind of found this point where I was just frustrated. And I realized I can't change anything. I can't, I can't change these circumstances, but I know the one who can. And I can turn to the one who can, and I can trust him as I seek him and continue to pray. And so as we finish up this morning, Sojourn, I want us to confess where we haven't been doing this. I want us to confess where we haven't been pursuing the Lord. 
Maybe you just want to be known by, by someone who is a Christ follower. Maybe you just want to be known as someone who attends church. Maybe you just want to be known as someone who, who's a Christian, but you actually haven't been following through in the spiritual practices and practicing those ways of Jesus and namely this morning prayer. Or maybe, maybe you've gone through some of those reasons of why it is you don't pray. Maybe you feel spiritually dry or maybe you feel guilt and shame or maybe you've just gotten caught up in the busyness of Zoom calls and online life. Whatever it is, this morning, the invitation is you can come before Jesus and lay that at his feet. And so I know this morning it was more on how not to pray and the next two to three weeks we're going to be going over what it looks like to actually pray. And that Jesus not only says pray, but he also gives us a guide and hands it to us. And so we're going to be looking at that guide and and, and looking how it is that we are to pray. And so let me finish this sermon in, in what more of an appropriate way than to pray for us. Pray with me now, Sojourn. God of the universe, not only did you love us so much that you created us, but God, even when we chose sin over you, you made a way that we could still have a relationship with you by sending Jesus. And then not only that, God, not only do you desire a relationship with us, not only have you made a way to bridge that brokenness and make it whole and complete and new, but God, you actually want to have a relationship with us. And that you actually want to talk to us, not only at the moment of salvation, but all throughout our spiritual walk. And God, that you're always there in a time of need. You're always there in the good times and the bad times. God, I know that we all have things on our heart. I can even sense that some of us this morning have heaviness on our heart, concerns on our heart. And so God, we want to cast all of our burdens, all of our anxieties, all of that on you this morning. God, I think that we can just rest in the arms of our Father. And just kind of, I think about my little ones who will come and climb in my lap and just kind of rest on their head on my shoulder. and I can embrace them in my arms. God, that we have that opportunity with you. And then this morning we can climb up in the lap of our Father, God, our Father, and just we can just pour out our hearts. We can just be loved by you. We can cast all the anxieties and worries of the world on you. And God, that we would be people that are known as people of prayer. God, that this is a priority of Sojourn Church. That this is a priority of the people who call themselves Christians. This is a priority of those who are laboring in Portland and Northeast Portland and Alberta Arts District and Concordia. God, because we know that prayer is the one thing that works. And so God, over these next two, three weeks, I ask that you would mold and shape our hearts, align them with you, and God, show us how it is that we are to pray as your church. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.